Well, good evening. evening. It's good to see so many of you here on a beautiful Sunday evening where it would be really nice to just go for a walk. You can do that after. Or it would be really nice to just sit out in the backyard, maybe stretch out on the hammock. You can do that after if you wanted. But uh, I, I have a question. <clears throat> what is it that makes a Christian different than a non-Christian? What is it really, down in, down in its essence? What makes a Christian different than a non-Christian? Is it good behavior? Is it good doctrine? What is it that makes the church different from the world? Is it good behavior? Once upon a time, just I'll confess, y'all in favor of pastoral transparency, once upon a time, I used to evangelize like that. Hey, come to Jesus. I would never get into, come to Jesus, he'll give you a BMW, that prosperity gospel. Um, But there's a kind of an ethical prosperity gospel that I would get into. Come to Jesus, he'll make you a better person. You want to be a better person, right? He'll make you behave better. And people would be like, what, like you? <laughs> I went, uh, is, it, is it right doctrine that makes the church different from the world? Believing the right things? Certainly there are some things, and believing the right things are important, but do we come with perfect doctrine before we're accepted by God? What is it that makes us different? And I just want to use a bit of an illustration. So Abraham... You remember Abraham? You know Abraham from Canada? No, I'm just kidding. Abraham from the Middle East, way, way, way back. Um, He was known as a friend of God, right? And he was counted righteous because he believed God. And he's the foundation of, in some ways, a couple of different religions. Islam looks at Abraham as their father. And in some ways, Christianity does too. Judaism looks at Abraham as their father. But here's the thing about Abraham. Um, Twice, Abraham threw his wife under the bus. You remember when he went down to Egypt and he told her, he said, ah, you know what? I'm kind of scared. This is a beautiful woman. I'm just what I am. And uh, I see some husbands looking at their wives right now. Um, Talk to me after. Uh, So they go down to Egypt. He's afraid that that the Egyptians are going to see his wife so beautiful and they're going to kill him and take his wife, for one of them. So it ends up that Pharaoh sees her and goes, wow, she's a good-looking lady. And so he goes and takes her into his, into his palace um, and then finds out that that's actually another man's wife. And he's basically like, Abraham, bro, like, what? why? Why would you do this? Well, because I was kind of scared. And imagine Sarah standing there being like, yeah, man, why? You were scared. But that's not the only time he did that. Then he shows up again um, in uh, Genesis chapter 21. You can read about this, and this is, or chapter 20, and this isn't where we're going to be tonight, but this is just an illustration. So he goes to another place. He journeys to another place called Gerar. And the king there, his title was Abimelech, and uh, exactly the same thing happens. He says to Sarah, his wife, he says, hey, you know what? Just tell them that you're my sister. Technically, that's true. You're my half-sister. That's a whole other conversation and a whole other sermon. Um, uh, <laughs> um, but, but he, he does this whole shtick again, right? And Abimelech takes Sarah, sees that she's a beautiful woman, takes her into his harem, 
Um, and then God shows up to Abimelech in the middle of the night and says, you are a dead man. And Abimelech goes, whoa, 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 wait a second. I, I, didn't do no, I didn't do anything. God says, I know. It was I who kept you from sinning with that woman. And here I am to tell you to keep you from touching her. Now, give her back to her husband, for he is a prophet. And here's what the Bible says. Return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. Who was more righteous in that, in that scenario? Have you ever thought about that? Abraham was like the jerk of all jerks to his wife, to his neighbor, to his God. Abimelech gets in trouble with his God, not Abimelech's God, but Abraham's God, and God says, give the man, give the man back his wife and he will pray for you because you need it so that you will live. If he doesn't intercede for you, you're a dead man. So there's a good example of God's man being way worse on the behavior level than the person who's not God's man. So what's the difference? Now, I will say this. I hope that we're growing in our Christ-likeness. But that's, that's, not what makes, that not, that's not what makes us different. What makes us different is God's presence among us. That's what makes the Christian the Christian. God's presence. That's what makes God's people, God's people, God's presence. And we've been talking a lot about that as we've been going through this series in Ezra. Ezra is about rebuilding the temple for the nation of Israel. They get to go back out of exile. They get to go back to the, the, the land that God has promised to them. God's people going back to God's place under God's submission and God's rule. But they need his presence. That's what the temple is all about. Even back then, the temple is not just a building. The temple is the place where God dwells. Okay, so the first generation, they go to build that temple, and then the second generation with Ezra, they return uh, with priests and with the stuff that belongs in the temple because when, the, when, when Babylon took um, uh, Israel into captivity, into exile, they took all the stuff out of the temple. So, they, so they, they ransacked the place. They took all God's stuff. They took all God's people. They took it away. So Ezra's actually returning with all the stuff belonging to the people or belonging to the temple, um, and he's returning to teach God's word and teach the people how to obey God's word, right? And then, and then as, as, uh, as John talked about uh, in an earlier sermon, they, they, they're all the missing priests. They needed the priests because nobody was allowed to even touch God's stuff except them. They were the people that were set apart for that, okay? So this is all about the restoration of a nation characterized by the presence of God. Israel doesn't have a nation without God. And then God says, hey, you know what? The thing that's going to characterize us, and we see this in Exodus 33, the thing that's going to characterize you as a nation is my presence among you. We see that in Exodus 33. So remember Moses, another big deal in the Old Testament? Right after the golden calf incident, God brings them out of exile in Egypt, okay, and delivers them from the Egyptians. They get through the Red Sea. They get to the mountain. Moses is up the mountain, they're down worshiping an idol. God says, I'm going to wipe you all out. Moses says, no, 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 don't do that. Let me intercede for the people here. Okay, and God says, okay, fine. And then, and then Moses says, if your presence, this is Exodus 33, 16, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Moses gets it. It's about God. It's about his presence. And he says this, is it not your going with us? that we are distinct, I and your people from every people on the face of the earth, the thing that makes us different 
if we are different, is the presence of God in us, in us as individuals and in us as people. Amen? Y'all are way too quiet with some of this stuff. But I get it. Old habits die hard. I told John, I'm making a commitment to say amen, maybe a little bit of come on now, a little bit of bring it, and a little bit of preach. Okay? Mm. All right, okay. Now here's the thing. So Ezra's about the restoration of a nation characterized by the presence, the presence of God. They have to rebuild the temple because they need the presence of God back. Okay? And that's, that's, how he, that's how he mandated that. Now, but the Bible also says that we are a holy nation. Okay. Wow. We are a holy nation. And we're going to see three things tonight that we need to watch very carefully in order for us to grow in the kind of lives, in the kind of lives as individuals and the life together. And we need to hold that intention. We are individuals, but we are also one person together. So we're going to see three things tonight that we need to watch very carefully to guard even, to grow in the, in the kind of lie, life and lives that is characterized by the presence of God. And before I do that, I want to pray. Prayer is one of those things that we're not going to talk about tonight, but John talked about this morning. Okay, so let's pray and just ask for the Holy Spirit to teach us tonight. Father, you are awesome. We've sung about how, how awesome you are, how great you are. Lord Jesus, you've, you've provided a way for us to, do, not just to dwell in the presence of God, but be the dwelling for the presence of God. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come now. You've been given to God's people. And, and many of us here have, have bowed the knee to Jesus. Many of us here have, have sought him in his word, among his people, in prayer. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would move. You've been given as the comforter. You've been given as the one to guide us into all truth. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to fall heavy on this place tonight to teach us and to give us the will to diligently guard our hearts, to diligently guard the things that you've given to us and to, diligent, to, to, to diligently make preparations for this journey of life um, where we can be um, united with you in, in, a, in a whole new way at the end of this, God. So please come, please speak. Give me out of the way. Um, and, uh, and plow up the, the soil of our heart to hear your word. We just pray this in Jesus' name. We pray this for Jesus' glory. So open your Bibles to Ezra. This is the first time I've preached on Ezra so far where I haven't said Isaiah. Maybe I just jinxed myself, I don't know. So Ezra chapter, chapter 8. And we're going to start in verse 23. I'm just going to ask you to, sorry, we're going to start in verse 24. I'm just going to ask you to stand while we read God's word. So Ezra chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 24. We're going to go to the end of the chapter. So this is Ezra speaking, Ezra writing, as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit. Then I set apart 12 of the leading priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and 10 of their kinsmen with them. And I weighed out to them the silver and the gold and the vessels, the offering for the house of our God that the king and his counselors and his lords and all Israel there uh, present had offered. 
I weighed out into their hands 650 talents of silver, and silver vessels worth 200 talents, and 100 talents of gold, 20 bowls of gold worth 1,000 derricks, and two vessels of fine, uh, bright bronze as precious as gold. And I said to them, you are holy to the Lord, and the vessels are holy. And the silver and the gold are a freewill offering to the Lord, the God of your fathers. Guard them, keep them, until you weigh them before the chief priests and the Levites and the heads of fathers' houses in Israel at Jerusalem within the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites took over the weight of the silver and the gold and the vessels to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of our God. Then we departed from the river Ahava on the 12th day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way. We came to Jerusalem, and there we remained three days. On the fourth day, within the house of our God, the silver and the gold and the vessels were weighed into the hands of Merimoth, the priest, son of Uriah, and with him was Eleazar, the son of Phinehas, and with them were the Levites, Josabad, the son of Yeshua, and Noadiah, the son of Binui. The whole was counted and weighed and the weight of everything was recorded. At that time, those who had come from captivity, the returned exiles, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, and as a sin offering, 12 male goats. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. They also delivered the king's commissions to the king's satraps and to the governors of the province beyond the river, and they aided the people and the house of God. Father, bless the reading of your word. You may be seated. So here's the first thing that, and I'm going to put this in the first person because I'm going to preach to myself first. Amen? Okay. And then God can preach to you. (laughs) So the first thing that I need to watch carefully is how I see God's people. That's the first thing I need to watch carefully. Look at verse 24. It says, then I set apart 12 of the leading priests. Okay, they needed the priests because they couldn't carry all the stuff. Do you guys remember a story way back with David where David took the Ark of the Covenant from the Philistines and he was bringing it back to Israel and he was carrying along and and they had it on on an ox cart and then Uzzah, poor fellow, (laughs) some of you know the story, well-meaning, I think his heart was probably in the right place. The, 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 the cart stumbled, the oxen stumbled, and it looked like maybe the cart was going to fall off. He just put his hand out to, to steady it. We don't want God's ark falling into the dirt. And he was immediately struck dead because he dared to do something that he was not set apart for. So they need the priests in order to be able to carry all this stuff the way God had, uh, the way God had mandated they were supposed. The, the Levites were supposed to carry all those things, and they, there were there were there were three different tribes in the Levites, and they all had different duties. And if one tribe decided to do something that the other tribe was supposed to do, I just imagine that there was probably trouble. Okay, everybody was supposed to stay in their lane, and they needed Le- Levites to carry all that stuff. So they were set apart. Now remember, as we go through this, we need to just remember that um, the New Testament and God has spoken through His apostles in the New Testament that God's people those who are found in Christ, those who have given their lives to Jesus, and those who are living for him, where he is their great hope, we are called a holy nation of priests to our God. Guess what? We're kind of like Levites. 
I'll let that sink in. So as we work through this, just keep that in the back of your mind. So first of all, God's people are set apart. And then everything that's given to us is carefully weighed out. Okay, all of the stuff that was supposed to go to the temple, you see that in verse 5. And I weighed out to them the silver and the gold and the vessels, the offering for the house of our God that the king and his counselors and his lords and all Israel there present had offered. Okay, here's something else now. We've been given things that we're supposed to take care of. Amen? We've been given people that we're supposed to take care of. First of all, we've been given ourselves. We're supposed to take care of. We're supposed to make sure that we are following after the Lord desiring his presence in our lives, okay? And we'll get into what that means in a little bit, okay? We've also been given family. If you have kids, you're a discipler. If you don't have kids, you're still a discipler, okay? So first of all, we're disciples. Then there's people that we, that we need to disciple, people that we're stewards of. But there's resources that we're stewards of as well. There's money. There's material resources, um, there's responsibility and position where we have influence. Those are resources that need to be stewarded. We have, um, uh, in addition, time. We've been given time that we need to steward, okay? But we're going to hit that next. The first thing that we need to carefully see is how I see God's people. Do, do I see myself as being set apart? Do I see others uh, in the body of Christ as being set apart? do we see ourselves as being tasked with something very, very valuable to steward something that really only, only we have been given to carry by God's Spirit? We'll talk about that in a minute, okay? And then look at verse 28. So he's given these, he's given these leading priests all this stuff, and then this is what he says to them. Look at verse 28. <clears throat> you are holy to the Lord. You are holy. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be holy? I think a lot of people think that being holy means being righteous. That's not what holiness means. That's a, righteousness is a fruit of being holy, but that's not what holy means. Then some will say, oh, holy means being set apart, and now we're getting closer. Now we're getting closer. Holy actually means being consecrated. Another word for that is being devoted. To be holy means to be devoted. Devoted to what? And then we say, well, what a, hey, hang on a second. I remember, I remember in Isaiah, it says that God is holy, 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 like ultimately holy. And that's true. That's true. But let me, let me talk about glory for a second. Let me talk about devotion, okay? So God's glory, glory just means weight. God's glory is his collective and infinite worth, the weight of who he is, okay? Not just that he's righteous, although that's, that's part of it, but it's a much bigger thing. It's his collective infinite worth, which is seen in, in, in the Bible as uh, inapproachable radiance. It's heard as the rushing of many waters and felt as the weight that falls on people and, and pushes people onto their faces. Okay, when we are in God's manifest presence, guess what our posture is? Face down. Because of the weight of God, his glory. Now here's his holiness. His holiness is his infinite devotedness to his glory. Holiness is devotion. It's his infinite devotedness to his glory. His singular devotion and loyalty to himself. Everything he makes holy becomes devoted to what he is devoted to. For example, believers are called saints because when they are saved, they are made holy. They are purchased. We are purchased and redeemed by Christ. 
We belong to and are owned by God and meant to be utterly devoted and consecrated to him, his plans and his purposes, which ultimately is found in loving and, de- and delighting in him. Okay, so that's holiness. So when we look at holiness, it says here in verse 28, you are holy to the Lord. That means you are devoted to the Lord. Those things that are holy in the, uh, for the temple and so on and so forth, those were things that were set apart, devoted to him. So the first thing I need to watch carefully is how I see God's people. Set apart, yes. Given gifts, yes. But holy, devoted. Am I, am I living that out? Do I live with a singular devotion to God? That's a question that we should be asking ourselves every day. And I ask myself first, but I'm going to ask you, are you devoted singularly to God? and his plans and his purposes. Because if you're in Christ, that's your standing, holy, devoted. Here's the second thing I need to watch very carefully. Second thing I need to watch very carefully is how I steward God's possessions. So we're set apart, we're devoted, and we're given gifts. And look at verse, verse 28 there, okay? So you are holy to the Lord, and the vessels are holy. So we're holy, and then everything that belongs to God is holy, devoted to God. How many things has God given you? Do you realize that because of your standing in Christ and his sovereignty over everything, all of those things are, de- are devoted to him? They're all holy. Do we treat them as holy? I got a good one. I'm not sticking my tongue at you. I'm sticking my tongue out to show you my tongue. I have been given a tongue. And with it, sadly, I bless God and curse men. And it should not be. My tongue is holy. Do I treat it as holy? My hands. My wife. My dog. He is definitely devoted. Uh, he's not, I don't know if he's devoted to God. I mean, the Bible says that, you know, creation cries out and so on and so forth. He's definitely devoted to me. Um, that's actually a really good, uh, that's actually a really good illustration. Um, so, uh, so my wife told this story uh, earlier in the week uh, and about a certain devotion, a certain devotedness. Um, I was home all day with the dog. Kelly was out. Ordinarily, I'm out. Kelly's at home with the dog. So I come home. The dog makes a huge deal about me coming home. If ever I need an ego boost, I just go home. Um, And I get it from the dog. (laughs) Yeah. I was home all day, though, and Kelly came home. And so I said, Brinkley, mommy's home, because I heard the car come in. So he goes running down the stairs, and he does this, like, he he shakes his whole body. Those of you who have dogs, you know what I'm talking about. But he does this little crying thing. Like, he's like this, "Mm, mm," like, it's, it's it's really comical, and he does that a lot. Um, so, so he does this thing. He tears down to the, to, the, to, the, to the front door. Kelly comes in, and I am coming down the stairs. He goes and says hi to mom, picks up a toy, and comes to me. And he's all in around my legs, like, oh, I missed you so much. It's like, wow. And he brought his toys, because even his toys are devoted by virtue of his devotion to me, Okay. Is that how we perceive ourselves? 
devoted to God, and all of our toys devoted to him. Where if we were with him all day and someone else showed up, it still didn't matter. We're devoted to him. So the second thing I need to watch very carefully is how I steward God's possessions. Here, the priests were to take all those things, okay, recognizing that they are holy and the things are holy. And then in verse 29, we see it says, Ezra says to them, guard them, keep them until you weigh them before the chief priests and the Levites and the heads of fathers' houses in Israel at Jerusalem within the chambers of the house of the Lord. So here's the third thing I need to watch carefully. I need to watch how I strive toward God's place. How am I moving towards God's place? Am I moving with the mentality that I am holy, I am devoted to him, and I'm acting like that? Am I moving toward God's place? Am I moving toward God's presence with all of my things also being devoted? Like I'm giving everything. Everything is a free will offering, as we see in verse 28. Everything is his. Everything is set apart. Everything is devoted. Am I moving that way? And then what's the manner of my movement? These guys had to guard this stuff. So if you think about it, they're going on a five-month journey, and they're carrying all kinds of gold and silver and vessels, precious things, precious, precious things. And we heard this morning that they actually prayed to God for protection, and God granted them the request. They prayed for protection because they're loaded down with all of this stuff. I went through some of the numbers here. Some of the numbers were ridiculous. Like, they went with 24 and a half tons of silver, uh, yeah, crazy. Another seven and a half tons of silver vessels, almost four tons of gold. Like, they're totally weighted down with all this stuff. And you know who typically in the Middle East at that time would be waiting along the, along the highways and byways? Right? You know where the, 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 the parable of the Good Samaritan comes from? It comes from real life. That's how Jesus taught often. Right? So they needed God's protection, but they, they refused an armed guard, as we heard this morning. They refused an armed guard because they already put the name of God on the line. And so, they, and so Ezra's going, you know what? We got we to gotta put the full weight of our trust now on this God that we are so devoted to. So with all of my stuff, am I trusting the Lord with it? But here's another thing. It says guard and keep them. So the priests were supposed to guard and keep those things as well. I want to exhort, and maybe this is, maybe this is the key thing right now. I want to exhort us all tonight to, to, be, to very diligently guard ourselves, guard our stuff, and guard our striving. Okay, guard ourselves, guard our stuff, and guard our, drive, our striving, okay? Recognizing that these things are devoted to the Lord. These things are holy, they're devoted to the Lord, okay? Here, here's kind of what I'm getting at here. Proverbs 4 talks about diligently guarding your heart, for from it springs life, okay? The, the streams of life. So here's the first thing. Guard self, okay? Where, where are our hearts at what are the things that we're loving? There are bandits all along the road of life trying to distract, trying to get in and steal all of the things, the precious things that God has given you. The most precious thing being God in you, God's word in you. Remember Jesus says in John 14, 15, 16, 17, um, that, that, whole, that whole prayer, and he talks about abiding. 
if you abide in me and, I abide, and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you will and it will be done for you, right? The first thing is God's word abiding in us. There are bandits on the highways and byways of life that are trying to snatch God's word out of your out of your mind, out of your heart, get you distracted. TV's more important. People are more important. I'm preaching to myself right now. Okay? Don't let it happen. Guard it diligently. Guard God's word in your life diligently. Right? It's, it's the bread of life. It's nourishment to us. It's what we need to actually to live. Okay? So guard God's word diligently. Prayer is another thing. Guard your prayer time diligently. Guard it, keep it. That's one of the, prayer is one of the gifts that's been given to us and it carries us all the way home when this life is over and we meet God face to face, right? Prayer is one of those things that helps us along the way get there. So guard your prayer time. And then another thing, guard your fellowship with other people because that's another thing that God's given us for this journey. That's another gift that God's given us to this journey. And you know what? Um, we're actually accountable for each other. I, you know when God comes to Cain and says, hey, where's your brother? What does Cain say? Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? God doesn't say, yes, you are, but he kind of does, right? We've been given to each other. We are gifts to each other. Amen? Amen? We are gifts to each other. Come on now. So we need to guard that. There are things we need to guard. We need to guard ourselves. We need to guard our family. We need to guard our friends. We need to guard our money. We need to guard our time. Because we, we, we need to guard our hearts. We need to guard our hearts. This is a long journey, and we've been given something. We're supposed to bring it to, look at this, guard and keep them, verse 29, until you weigh them before the chief priests and the Levites and the heads of the fathers' houses in Israel at Jerusalem. This is, this is to Israel, obviously, at a specific time in a specific place, okay, but within the chambers of the house of the Lord. We're also the temple of God. We're also the house of the Lord, okay? And Jesus said, I go ahead of you and I'm preparing mansions for y'all, okay? So we are going to be in the manifest presence of the Lord one day. And how we steward the gifts that God has given to us determines a lot of that. Okay, so I'm just gonna reiterate here. The first thing I need to watch carefully is how I see God's people. Set apart, holy, given a gift, or given gifts and given tasks, given the task of carrying through to completion the things that he's given us, okay? Getting, progressing in Christ-likeness through this life. The second thing I need to watch carefully is how I steward God's possessions, family, friends, money, time, and there's tons of other things, okay? Do I see those things as devoted to, to God and guard and keep them? until we finally end up in the manifest presence of God in the end. And then the third thing I need to watch carefully is how I strive toward God's place. And I just want to jump down here. So we've got um, Ezra telling everybody that they're holy, or the priests that they're holy, their vessels are holy, um, to guard them and keep them until they end up um, giving them within the chambers of the house of the Lord. And then verse 31, then we departed from the river Hava on the 12th day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way and we came to Jerusalem. Okay? We're devoted to the God who takes care of us, the God who has the, the ability to protect us all along the way. Faithful is the one who called us and he will do it. 
So part of being careful how we strive toward God's place, we talked about uh, being guarded and diligent and taking care of things, but the other thing is um, that hinges on, on the dependence of our walk, right? Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you will, will be done for you. This is a God who wants to live in us. This is a, this is a God who gives us his very spirit to carry us along, to, 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 to do all of this, to, to steward things well. And uh, how we move, yes, guarded and diligent, but also under the understanding that God is ultimately guarding us and God is ultimately diligent, right? That's, that's, what, that's what God was doing when he sent Jesus to earth to take on our humanity, our flesh upon himself so that he would live a perfectly sinless life. Um, and because of that, he, when he goes to the cross and he's condemned in the place of wicked men and women, um, he can't stay dead. He can't stay dead. The Proverbs say that anybody who condemns the righteous and acquits the guilty is an abomination, right? So, so Jesus can't stay dead. And so when Jesus rises, his death pays the penalty for our sin. So the sin, the sin that, that, that we have to own and that we have to pay for, and death is the ultimate payment for that sin, Jesus takes that, he dies in our place. But he can't stay dead because he was perfectly righteous, and God is not unrighteous. So he raises Jesus up, and because we are in him, and that's how we become priests to our God, when we're in him, we also rise as well. Okay? And it's because of that that we become priests, we see ourselves as a nation of priests, holy, devoted to the Lord. And here's something I just want to leave you with in terms of devotion. By the way, all those references to us being a holy nation, 1 Peter 2, 5, and 9. Actually, I'm going to read it. It's amazing stuff. So second, or 1 Peter uh, verse 5 says this. As you come to him, this is verse four. A living stone, Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. It's right there. We're a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Taking all of those things, all those vessels, all that gold, all that offering to offer God spiritual sacrifices. And, and verse 9 says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are. Once you were far off, but now you've brought, been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Okay, and so here's the exhortation. Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you. And I'm gonna close with this. We've seen these three, three things that we need to watch carefully. How I see God's people how I steward God's possessions and how I strive toward God's place. And here's my, here's my exhortation. This is really what it comes down to. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, and the mercies of God are new every day, amen? The mercies of God are manifold. I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, this is what we get to carry. This is what we get to steward. This is what we are. 
whole, uh, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God was good and acceptable and perfect. So let's, let's watch carefully how we see God's people. We are, what's the word? Holy. And what does it mean? Devoted. Let's watch carefully how we steward God's possessions. We guard them and keep them because we want to offer them to God. And then let's watch carefully how we strive toward God's place with vigilance and diligence, but with dependence on the God who ultimately guards us and will carry us through to the end. Amen? Come on now. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, um, let's really thank you for your word. Uh, there's so many messages that float around and, and there's so much... Um, there's so much distraction and deception. There's so much that wears us out, just makes it tiresome, hard to prepare, hard to execute, hard to take care of the things that you've given us to take care of, hard to get into your word sometimes, God, hard to pray, hard to... fellowship. But we can come back to your word and we can open it up and there it is. Plain as day and it never changes. Gives, gives us exactly what we need and just always this call. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. I will take care of you. Yes, you've got some things I'm calling you to but I'm with you in it. I'm with you in the fire. And ultimately, God, you are the faithful one and you will do it. You will bring us where we need to be. So Father, I just thank you for that. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your sacrifice on the cross so that our hearts can be renewed, recreated, and we can, we can be filled with your spirit. We can grow in walking in step with your spirit. Holy Spirit, I thank you uh, that, you, that you comfort and guide us into all truth. So now I just ask that um, you would rest heavy on us the reality of your glory, that we would recognize your devotedness to your glory and we would, and we would bring ourselves into alignment with your devotedness and we would offer ourselves as living sacrifices completely devoted to you and in that we would find delight because you've promised that. I just pray this all in Jesus' name and I pray this for Jesus' glory, amen.